Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Come on, let's do it real loud. Happy Sabbath. All right, because if we were at a Dodgers game, we'd be a lot louder than that, wouldn't we? <laughs> How's everyone feeling this morning? Good. I'm happy to be here at this camp meeting and uh, praising the Lord. And what we're going to do is camp meeting style. We're going to have some, uh, some praise songs. How many of us, by a show of hands, how many of us remember, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Come on, raise it. Come on, don't be shy. All right. I need you to help me sing this song this, norm, this morning, and um, let's, uh, let's raise the roof. Amen? All right. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Let's do it again. I have the joy. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart, come on. Down in my heart, I have the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. I have the love, I have the love of Jesus, love of Jesus. Down in my, where? Down in my heart, down in my heart. I have the love of Jesus, love of Jesus. Down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Wasn't that beautiful? Huh? Okay, the next song we're going to do is page... Oh, did I miss a verse? That's okay, let's go to page 286 right now. <laughs> Wonderful words of life. Okay, it's found on page 286. And... Wonderful words of life, let them more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life, words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of Christ the blessed redeemed, wonderful words of life, sinless to the loving call, wonderful words of life, also freely given, come on, to have beautiful words, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Okay, we would now turn to page 251. I serve a risen Savior. For those who don't want to look at the screen right there, because I can't turn around and look at the screen. So. Okay, page 251. I serve a risen Savior, and I invite all of you to stand. Yes. Please stand. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what. I see his hands of mercy. I hear his voice in just the time. Everybody ring it out. Come on. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives. 
He walks and talks. He lives. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. Come on now. You ask me how I know he. Now let's make this real big. He Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Let's ring it out. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujah. Through Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek Him. Help of all. None other is so loving or kind. Come on. So Now watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Come on now. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Come on now. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Now you know what's coming. Let's do that. He lives again. He lives. He lives again. Come on, real big. He lives within my heart. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on.
Clap your hands, all ye nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated in his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God, of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. Welcome to camp meeting, Santa Clarita. We are trying this as, I think, an experiment in joy and in fellowship and in revival and in fun. And in togetherness. And in togetherness. And oneness. And community. Thank you. And grace. So we were talking at prayer time this morning. And by the way, I would be delighted to see all of you here at nine o'clock to pray with us that God might indeed move in our church and in our lives in a very special way during this season. But we were sharing together what camp meeting was, and Milton had some wonderful reflections on how this came to be. How many of you grew up with a camp meeting? Know what that is? A few of you. How many of you did not? More didn't than did. And so share with us a little of how this came to be and what it is. Okay, well... I'll just share you sort of what I know, and hopefully it uh, kind of gives you an idea. Uh, in, the, in the 19th century, as, as Christianity began to grow in uh, agrarian culture in the United States, people lived far apart. And you often have heard during that time there were, you know, traveling ministers. They would go from town to town, and sort of that's the basics of what people got as far as religious teachings, as far as spiritual, outside of what they did themselves in their towns and their communities. Most all of the Protestant churches during that time began a a process called camp meeting. And annually they would get together, whether it was Baptists, Methodists, Millerites, eventually Adventists, began to gather annually so that the collective wellness and the collective healing and the collecting love and the collective experience and the, the collective hurt and, and needs came together from all around the, the, the area, the country. My first camp meeting was in Oklahoma. And, of course, they came from all over Oklahoma to come to, to camp meeting. There was tents, Pastor. We're not doing that now. Which no, is good. no tents here in San Francisco. And it was outside and no, that we have air stuff. conditioning. Okay. Yeah. But people would come from all around, and at that time, four days, five days, six days, ten days, sometimes at a time, the people came together to let God reign in their lives, talking to one another, assisting one another, lifting one another, cheering on one another sharing the faith that God had planted with them through that year before to share with others. 
And so today, you know, when I think of camp meeting, I think of, like I said, togetherness and wellness and wonder. Because I know there's some experiences you have that can help me. And hopefully something I have that can help you. So it's about being together and lifting God as number one. Amen. We do have a schedule that we're developing uh, because this idea came to my wife and then to me relatively lately this year. Um, we have some spots that we're still trying to fill on the 19th and 26th for our afternoon programming. But we will have afternoon programming on the 19th. You're going to love it. hope that you'll come. And on the 26th, plan on making a full day of it. We'll have three meals here on campus. We're going to have a game night. We have all sorts of stuff going on the 26th, the last Sabbath of this month. So just go to your calendar and put a big red line through the entire day and put camp meeting beside that red line and uh, make it a day of fun and fellowship and interaction. The more the merrier. And bring some friends. We got, what, how many empty pews here? Well, we're about half empty. So we have room for another couple hundred people here. At least. All right. At least. Now, maybe people want to hear about the theme. I think they do. They might want to hear about the theme and, and sort of what's going to carry us this Sabbath, next Sabbath, and, the, and then the following well, Sabbath. Well, if you ever went to a camp meeting, you know that they always had a slogan, uh, coming again or um, uh, hastening the return or, you know, something like this. They had a slogan. Well, our slogan came from none other than... No, it was collective. <laughs> and Peter. It's called Words of Life. And we're going to talk about words that give life. We're going to talk about them during the service. We're going to talk about them after the services, next week and the week after. You can see this cleverly designed uh, kind of logo thing we've got here, um, header, done by Peter, shows a text box. Do you see the text box there? Which direction does the arrow typically point on a text box? Down. Which direction is this text box pointed? Yes. So you see, I don't speak words of life, but Jesus does. Amen. Amen. You don't speak words of life, but Jesus does. So we're going to listen to some words of life, and you can fill in your own words. What is it going to be? Maybe it's a fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, Hope, gentleness, goodness, kindness, etc. Maybe it's something else. We'll see what your word is. But this camp meeting, we're going to be developing words of life that's going to shape our time together and our experience in worship. And we hope it's a blessing and of great meaning to you. Yeah. In fact, that you know, you may even want to, as you listen today to to God's word, as presented in song and prayer and and discussion fill in some words in that little blank for you when you walk away today you can carry those words with you words of life that will help you until we get together next year which is really next week that's right yeah yeah and instead of actually seven or ten days in a row we're just doing three more or less and it's going to be sabbath but wait for next year it could get better we'll see we're going to invite our chorister up lee we have a theme song that we'll be singing every week for the next three weeks. You just sang a couple verses of it, but we want you to know all the verses because it carries our theme so very beautifully. Wonderful words of life, number 286. Please stand and join us as we sing this together.
Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of love. Let them more of their beauty see, wonderful words of love. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of love. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words. Verse 2, Christ of blessed, wonderful words of life, sinless to the loving call, wonderful words of life, all who freely given, wooing us to heaven, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words wonderful words wonderful words of life verse 3 sweetly echo the gospel call wonderful words of life offer pardon and peace to all wonderful words of life Jesus only Savior sanctify forever beautiful words wonderful words Wonderful words of life. Beautiful. Let's repeat that chorus again. Beautiful words. Words. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, we having fun yet? <clears throat> all right, that's what this is all about. You know, for the next two weeks, this week, next week, and the week beyond, we're going to do this camp meeting style of worship. So uh, I hope you're having fun with this. I think some of the goals of this was just to break it up a little bit. Why should church services be so predictable 52 weeks a year, right? So make sure next week when you come, you come a little early because this whole thing starts about 9 a.m. and it'll go all the way into the afternoon for the next two Sabbaths, okay? A couple of footnotes on some of this. We need help with food donations for those next two Sabbaths. So if you happen to see Marty Barclay or if she happens to call you or email you or ask you, hey, can you volunteer to bring some, some food? Please go along with that. It will help greatly. We expect to have a very large crowd to feed for the next couple of uh, Sabbaths here. Okay. A uh, couple more details about today. There is child care available uh, immediately following the Lamb's offering today. Just meet in the narthex, the kids, and they'll meet out in the uh, education wing right off to the right here outside of the church. Um, your offering today is for women's ministry. Uh, if you were here about uh, oh, almost a half an hour ago, you saw a very uh, well laid out presentation about our Family Promise program that we participate in with other churches in the community here. Um, our rotation for that, for volunteering and for hosting that, is coming up um, August 17th through 24th. And as usual, we need more volunteers to uh, sign up and come and help with preparation of food in the evenings, set up uh, on uh, Sunday, tear down, or, uh, set up on Saturday night, tear down on Sunday, 
Um, please go ahead and sign up right outside in the narthex on your way out of here to um, make it well known if you would come and help out with that process. More people, the better for that. Okay, we have a very special member in our church here today who's sitting here today. I see him sitting there. Alex Varga. I don't know how many of you read your local newspaper, but Alex got written up this week. And it's posted right outside in the narthex when we leave today. You might want to take a minute. But Alex has been honored by our, um, our Signal newspaper for being the oldest World War II veteran living in Santa Clarita Valley. Alex, please stand up. Please stand up so everybody knows. In case you don't know Alex. So I would bet Alex will stay for lunch today, and I would urge any of you that haven't taken time, sit down with Alex and get him talking, because Alex will talk to you and tell you whatever you want to know about whatever happened back in the day. And I personally love sitting around listening to some of these stories, because uh, they're fascinating. You're, 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 you've got a living, sort of living legend here and a person who has been through a lot. So it's great to have you with us, Alex. We're happy to uh, be your, your home church here. Okay, Pastor Greg, would you come forward? We have a uh, transfer process to occur. Alex, are you a Medal of Honor recipient as well? Alex? Yes, that's what I hear. Thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'd like to invite the Primo family forward, please. Come on up, Vivian, Juliet, Austin. Oh, and I'm missing one. We'll find out shortly. You get the honors here. Oh, I do. Let's see if it works. Okay, you want to test that for me? Make sure. Hello. Good. All right. The Primo family, uh, we are transferring three of you into membership. Yes, today. the oldest ones. I, who did I miss? This one, she's not, she's not baptized yet. And who is she? Katie, Katie. my youngest one. Okay, see, they, we need to know that. Yes. Katie, everybody wants to get to know you, and maybe we'll get you baptized here. How about yes. that? This family is coming to us from the Portuguese church, or company rather, in Glendale called the Los Angeles Portuguese Seventh-day Adventist Company. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know our structure, you become a group, then a company, then a church, and you become a church only during a constituency meeting cycle, which would be, say, next year. And the standards are, in order to be a company, you have to have 75 people and $75,000 in tithe, and in order to be a church, you have to have 150 people and $150,000 in tithe, and then you're eligible to join the sisterhood of churches in the Seventh-day Adventist system. So that's what it means when we say Portuguese company. Now, Vivian, introduce your family. Tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and uh, how you came to be in Santa Clarita. <laughs> well, we are originally from Brazil, and we moved to California 
I had Austin in Miami, and then we moved to California. And their dad uh, moved with Princess Cruises, so that's how we came to Santa Clarita. All right. <laughs> Thank God. We, yes. we'll, we'll take it. Yes. We'll take it. Now, um, nobody is to give them a bad time about Germany versus Brazil. No. Is that, under no. is that understood? We've had enough of that. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. I don't want to hear a word breathed. Thank you okay. for that. All we right. appreciate it. Not a word breathed about that. Well, we... We are, as you know, and this is hopefully why you're part of us, we are a company of believers that uh, is part of the Seventh-day Adventist church system that loves the Lord. We love one another. We have a very high respect for belonging and a very high respect for participation. And we hope that that will be your experience, that you find ways to learn your spiritual gifts, to use your spiritual gifts, to be involved in our church family. And we have a formality that we must conclude at this point. The board has recommended via action to you as a body that we accept this family into membership. Uh, that's a motion to you. Is there a second? Second. second. All right. Any discussion on that? All those in favor, please give a rousing aye. Aye. All those opposed, same sign. Thank you. That's carried. Congratulations. You are officially a member of Our women's ministries is very active here, Vivian. We have a great team of women, and I think you're going to love them and fit in beautifully. Um, but they have put this little welcome basket together just to let you know how much uh, we care and how glad we are that you're a part of us. And we hope that your experience with us will be a deepening experience as you walk with the Lord with us. A gorgeous family. Our church is blessed. Let's thank the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Okay, we're going to transition into the rest of our service here. And I invite everyone to get into the spirit of prayer and worship and uh, enjoy the rest of this camp meeting. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. No, it isn't advertising. It isn't slick words. It isn't vanity that gathers us here today. It's need. And Lord, we need you this day. And we thank you that by your spirit you have gathered us.
No, it's not by power or force or coercion. Everyone's here because they want to be. And so, Lord, we seek a special blessing as we come to this place. We pray that above all in this season, you will grant us the ability to hear that we might receive words, words of hope, words of healing, words of blessing, words of comfort, words of community, words of belonging, words of togetherness, words of grace. We pray that we may hear your word and that we might be blessed in that, that we might hear your word and be deepened in it, that we might hear your word and be changed by it, never to be the same again. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, your presence, your purpose, your promise. We thank you for each person gathered here and ask a blessing on every single one of them. We pray for our members on vacation, those ill and unable to join us. We pray for those who are making choices that take them other places. We would have all all our people blessed and comforted and touched. We would have all of our people praising God wherever they are. So today, heal us from our infirmities, from our stresses, from our strains. Clear the clutter from our hearts and minds and lives. Forgive us our sins and bless us with your righteousness. Teach us to walk with you in your grace. And may this be a service that glorifies and magnifies you, the one, the only, the true. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I may offer uh, or suggest or propose a couple of words in the next couple of minutes. So here's one, faithfulness. You don't have to write it. You can write it down somewhere if you want. There may be a few others. A few weeks ago, Greg asked me to talk about um, how Ginger and I have approached giving. And when he asked me to do that, I was a little reluctant. And it's not because I don't uh, like speaking or am uncomfortable being up front. That would be Ginger. She would be reluctant to do it for those reasons. A couple of reasons. The first thing that went through my mind was the story that I can share with you today is not at a peak in terms of earning and then giving. It's in a valley but there might be the road winding up the hill right now. But I was aware that in my mind, and I'm sharing this with you, I'm giving you a, the, just a glimpse into my first initial reaction was, wow, it's not the story I wish I could tell. And I was thinking about what it is we are able to give in terms of an amount. And Greg 
wisely said, well, okay, well, just think about it. The thing that might be interesting uh, for you to share is that you have continued to give, whether your income is here or whether your income's there. So, another word for you, uh, history. In my experience over the past, boy, I don't know, who, who are the better historians than I am? When was Christian Life Center, the capital campaign, started? Thank you. Thank you. I'll share with you three, briefly, three experiences that I've had that have shown me something that has been meaningful to me about God. One of them was a capital uh, development campaign. That's fundraising. Getting people to commit to a project over and above what they were already giving, choosing to give free will and tithes, that happened and it started in 98 and you had a number of families saying, okay, it's not comfortable, it's not easy, but we'll do it. Really stepping out in faith. What the result of that are the, the buildings that make up our Christian life center. What's impressive to me about how God worked was very, many of the families, many people were stepping beyond what they thought they were able to do, and they were still going to try it anyway and rely on God to provide, to deliver. And there are lots of stories about how opportunities were um, created or found, and people were able to make their commitments. That's one. Others, others have stories uh, who are in that group. One other, um, another instance that I want to share with you briefly was, I love the verse in Malachi that says, test me on this. God says, test me. Sometimes we think, oh, you shouldn't test God. Malachi is saying, God says, test me. Bring, bring to my temple, bring to my, into my storehouse the tithe. God doesn't need my money this morning, doesn't need your money this morning, but the organizations and the systems that do God's ministry and service do. Family Promise, we saw the great presentation earlier. That not only needs people's volunteering time and spirit, generosity, it also needs money. So I don't want any of us to be confused and uh, have an overinflated sense of what our money does for God. It does things for God's ministries. I, I took that verse that, that I like about uh, God asking to be tested, and while I was uh, working at Yahoo!, I also had some freelance jobs on the side. And so I made kind of what I thought was a kind of an interesting and bold call. I said, okay, God, the first job that I get, apart from my regular job, I won't just turn back 10%. Bible outlines that. Or free will offering above that, maybe 15 or 20, if I'm feeling really generous. I said, God, whatever the first job is, I'm going to give that 100% write it straight back to you, give it, and I'll take it to church. So you need to know, without going into the exact jobs, you might have a job at like 1x a certain amount, and then I, I only do jobs, freelance jobs, there are certain amounts. So you say 1x and 2x and 3x, and I have to laugh. The very first job that came in that calendar year was like more than the 3x one. <laughs> and then I thought, oh boy. Me and my big mouth. 
I said it, now what am I going to do? Am I going to be one of those people that makes a promise to God? Am I going to be Ananias and Sapphira? Are they going to come and carry me out? So I said, God's providing. I said it. Am I going to be true to my word? And it was a big, I mean, it was a big job. And then I had to explain that to Ginger. (laughs) She said, okay, if that's what you said, if that's what you promised. So I did. I wrote the uh, tithe and the offering check out of that. And I want you to know, I I am not a money guy. I'm not a numbers guy. Ginger handles uh, the finances in our uh, family. But I keep a loose record of what my annual freelance things, uh, what I make on freelance jobs each year. If you looked at that chart, you would see this amount, this amount, this amount. And the year after I gave that first check over to God, it's that. It's just that. And I also had to smile at how God answered my willingness to see how he would respond to being tested. Another word that I want you to think about as a word of life is faithful. The other reason I was hesitant to come up and talk to you about it is not is because I don't want you to get anything, if you get from anything about this, I didn't even want it to be the pretense of what I or Ginger have been doing. I want you to know what God has been doing. So if I talk about faithfulness, I don't want you to hear it is that Ginger and I have decided to keep giving, whether my income's up here or our joint income's up here or whether it's down here or whether it's that. That's a decision that we've made, but I want you to understand that the faithfulness has been on God's part. What we have seen um, as I've gone from a full-time spot uh, with Yahoo to a very good freelance year in the first year after that, that approached but didn't quite make the, uh, what I was making at Yahoo, the last, this past calendar year was dramatically less than the first really healthy freelance year. That's just the way it is. We never really considered not continuing to give at the commitment that we had. The amount we were able to give was less, which is some of my first uh, awkward uh, self-consciousness about even being up here in the first place. But our decision to give the percentages that we give, both in tithes and also offerings to support the ministries, the local ministries of this church, we never decided to stop doing that because things we had less money to um, give. Again, please don't hear it as what we're doing. I want you to know, hear what God is doing. Throughout those years that I've talked about, Ginger and I have had the, most, the highest expenses that we've ever had. And if you have put a kid or two kids through a private college, you know what a big check that is. God has been able to provide for us to meet that kind of uh, life expense and also many others. Even in the time when I've been making less than I have, like four years ago, God is meeting our needs. Another word of life I want you to consider is provision. Is God providing for you for what your needs are? The last thing that um, I want to hopefully share with you this morning as a way to get you um, thinking about what it means to give, and that word is acknowledgement. Sometimes we tend to think about giving toward what the need is, the external need that's being helped or met by that. If you chose to give to 
family promise. They have a need and you would be helping that. I like turning the perspective around 180 degrees to identify what the need is for me to give. Of course, the organizations, the ministries, Prison Bible, our children's ministries, our church budget, um, our scholarship funds, uh, what we contribute for our constituent schools, all of those have ongoing needs. But if we only focus on what those needs are, I think we miss what our own personal needs are as we consider what we will give. I have the need to acknowledge, this might be my last word of life for this little talk, I have the need to acknowledge what God is and what he does. Those other words, that God is always faithful, that God provides. A very simple and effective way for me to do that is to give something back and acknowledge God first. I don't want to give at the end when I've already spent on all kinds of other stuff that I think I really need or want. I like preparing and thinking about it in, why don't I take a look at what God has done for Ginger and I in this example? Why don't I take a look at whether God has been begrudging or whether God has been lavish and generous? As I look at the things that he does, the things that he has given us and the way that he has given to us, then I say, oh, I need to stop and remind myself that I am not providing for either Ginger or for Jordan or for Luke. God is providing for all of us. And by, by writing a check, which is really a trivial thing to do, or putting money in a basket or a plate, that's really a small thing to do to acknowledge that God provides for us first. But it may be small, but it's, it's a profound need that I have so that I don't get deluded to thinking that I am solely providing or that Ginger and I are solely providing and we're in this and it's only us. and No. The, the need that I have and the, the reason that I think it's um, important, the act of giving for me is an act of acknowledging what God faithfully does, what he has done over time, and what he has done so much more beyond what we could have hoped for, including the fact that now God has worked out that I'm picking up a lot more work with a certain software company that you guys may have all heard of, but it's very secretive, so I have to watch, you know, even how, how much I say. But what I'm here to tell you is, in each of those examples that I've told you about, God has provided, not only for basic needs, but things that are hopeful. I no longer, I can't, I couldn't even tell you what the amount Ginger and I gave to the Christian Life Center. But now I see a place where family promise happens, where Sabbath schools happen, where vacation Bible schools happen, where potlucks, great potlucks, where Mother's Day breakfast happen. I, know, I don't even think about what we gave. I don't think about what, I can't even tell you what that amount was that I tested God with seven years ago. I, I just don't think about, those things don't stay with me. But the action of testing God and how he came through for me, that stays with me. So, We have an opportunity today. This is our opportunity to give back to God tithes and offerings. And nothing that I've shared with you is with the spirit of coercion. God says, I want, I love cheerful givers. 
Now, the people who have needs and ministries that have needs would probably amend that to say, I don't care if you're a grumpy giver, just give something. God says, I want cheerful givers. I'm not interested in coercing you to do something, but I hope that through maybe some uh, personal uh, sharing of some personal approaches to that, you can um, think of ways that you can acknowledge how God provides and how he has been wonderfully faithful in your life. So we have this opportunity. I'll invite the deacons to come forward. I'll have a quick prayer about that. And uh, we have an opportunity today to acknowledge God through our giving. Father God, how can it be that we can ask, um, that we can bring a gift and an offering to you when everything, if we put everything that we have and we are into these baskets, it would... um, It would look small next to what you have given and continue to give for us. But we thank you for that. We gratefully acknowledge your goodness, your generosity. So help us to become better about regularly acknowledging you and not just meeting needs of ministries that are doing great things in your name, but also the personal need that we have to not believe that we are self-sufficient. We need you, Lord, and we need to recognize that. And this is a step that we can do to do that this morning. Please bless all of these gifts, these tithes, these offerings, and uh, continue to give others stories of your faithfulness that they might share with us one day and bolster our faith and our love for you. For these things, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. now let's stand and sing the doxology, hymn number 694, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Another kind of offering. I want to invite the children up front because Mr. Dave is going to have your story. Come on up, kids. Good morning, kids. Happy Sabbath. Hope you had a good week. Welcome to camp meeting. Anybody recognize this? It's just a common, ordinary rock, right? Can you think of what your lesson might be today? My wife saw it and thought, was that you're going to talk about how hard your head is? <laughs> but no, that's not it. Jesus said, what? Build your house on the rock, that's a good guess, because that's certainly a parable in the Bible. But we're going to talk about another one today, about our hearts and uh, about hardening our hearts and um, about something like this. What's this one? Do you know what that is? It's a seed. And Jesus said that his love, God's love, is like a seed. And we need to plant it somewhere where it's going to grow right. So <clears throat> if I didn't know anything, I might decide to plant this seed right here in this rock. Do you think that's going to grow? We could water it. It would start. Is it going to take root into the rock? Probably not. Some trees do that in the mountains on the cliffs and stuff. They crack in the rocks and dig their roots deep, but that's another story. So, what I wanted to talk to you about today was <clears throat> about God's love and about us and how we can relate this seed to us and his love to us. We can take his love and plant it in our hearts and give it a nice place to grow, or we can give it a rock to grow in. So how do we model ourselves after God's will in our lives. How do we take the step, steps to being a good Christian? How do you do it on a daily basis? That's what I wanted to talk to you about. Your parents ask you to do things, right? And they have rules for you. And you have right and wrong. And you know what those are. Sometimes do you choose not to do the right thing? 
So as we grow up as kids, we learn <clears throat> our parents teach us in the right way, and they give us um, God's love, and they help us nurture it. They help us get a fertile ground to grow God's love. And so I want to ask you all today to um, keep a fertile place in your heart for God's love to grow so that you can be a good example for him. Thank you. As you go back um, to your seats, please... Um, Go down the side that you're sitting on, and then we can get equal coverage with the, uh, with the <laughs> baskets. Thank you. Linda, you want to say something? I just wanted to remind you all that today we're going to have Children's Church, Summer Children's Church, and for all you parents and grandparents too, um, the kids will be meeting me in room D, so if you can come and pick them up following the worship hour. I'll have a special program with some games and crafts and some of our VBS songs that we enjoyed over the summertime. Does that sound fun? I'll see you guys over there. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Do not forget the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on earth to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you, to, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This morning for special music, um, we have an ensemble up here. We have uh, Chris Rave on bass. Everyone knows Chris. We have Trevor Barber playing the guitar. And uh, the world famous Diane Muff playing the flute this morning. And we selected a couple of Kurt 
uh, Kaiser songs. How many of us know Kurt Kaiser? Know his music? Big 70s uh, style musician. But uh, we're going to do a Pass It On and Oh How He Loves You and Me. Pass it on. 
Thank you, Lee and company. I have to tell you, God uses his church to connect people, among other things. And there are connections that get drawn over time that you, you just can't put a price on. Lee went to Lodi Academy. He's a Lodian, and there's another Lodian in our, or was a Lodian in our midst, you all know very well, Brenda Moore, who was the director of Glendale Adventist Academy Chorale. She also was a Lodian, and um, their teacher was a wonderful man, is a wonderful man named Mr. Hugh Wynn. And Hugh Wynn was the principal of Fresno Academy when I was pastoring in Fresno. So Hugh and Betty were members of my church there, and I got to know them. And so Lee and I are connected through Lodi, even though I never lived there. And that's the way God works sometimes uh, when he connects people to himself and to one another. So we can start with a word of connection, I guess, is one, one thing we can do. Words are uh, interesting things. We have talked about words a lot in the last year and a half, and I don't mind repeating myself because I think sometimes we lose track. We have a civilization that comes from a, a Western tradition but with Eastern influences. And the Eastern influences were based in oral tradition. So what we have when we look at our Bible is an oral tradition. The Old Testament is an oral tradition that comes to us from ancient times. This oral tradition eventually found its way into writing. And writing was the domain of the very few, the elite, the highly educated. And it became the instrument of empires and of religion. Writing became a powerful resource for putting words into a form that would exist exactly as written over time. Now, oral tradition is very accurate. Oral tradition changes very little. There are still cultures today where you can find people who can speak for 24 or more hours nonstop the history of their tribe, repeating names of ancestors and telling stories of their past. They have memorized this oral tradition, meticulously memorized it from the one in their tribe who had it before and so forth. And so the oral tradition, the history of a people that is what we would say illiterate, but clearly uh, uh, not so in the, in the more meaningful sense of the word, in that they use and have words that speak and capture and preserve a history. These oral traditions have existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So for a long time, word was an oral tradition. It was something passed from generation to the next, from one educated person in the tradition to the next person to be educated and so forth. There had to be redundancy, obviously. What if somebody had an accident or injury or plague that prevented it from being passed along? And so people have had a way of preserving word over time until it did come to written form. And then the beauty there was words could be locked except they really weren't because they didn't have Xeroxes. There was no way to transmit these words except to copy them. And interestingly enough, when you copy page after page after page, you're likely to make about as many mistakes as you might if it were well rehearsed orally, maybe more. So the word became written. But somewhere along the way, written word began to carry authority that was very, very powerful. 
If it was written, it must be true. And so as the record of God's interaction with humankind came to be recorded, it came to possess an even greater authority for those who would read it in subsequent generations than it had already carried in the oral tradition. Why is that interesting or why is that important? It's because we now live in a world in which writing doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's true. So you go onto the internet and there's a blog and you read it. It's the written word, but is it true? Or is it opinion? Or is it spin? You read a news story. Are we reading this news story from a liberal perspective, a conservative perspective? Is the perspective what makes it true? Or is the facts as they approximate reality what makes it true? We live in a world in which politics and semantics merge to make events murky, not clear, to protect those who engage in all that's necessary and sometimes not necessary and even illegal or atrocious to make a society go forward or to maintain power. We live in a world in which words are now used as weapons more than ever. We live in a world in which words hurt as often as they heal. We live in a world of rhetoric, of argument, of case-making. We live in a world of presentation and perspective and appeal, and the written word has been diminished. We live in a world of the National Enquirer. Do you realize that tabloid-type materials have grown exponentially since the 70s and 80s? That our appetite for e-news is not just the same as it's been in the past, it's greater than ever? That we're just as interested, in fact, more interested in Paris Hilton for whatever reasons, I don't have any idea. Or the, oh, anyway, I digress. Name a celebrity. We're more interested in that than a story of true tragedy somewhere or true nobility somewhere else. And so words, while still immensely powerful, no longer carry for us the authority, the clarity, the truth that they used to. We must recapture that. You see, our duty as Christians is not just to proclaim that God is God and that Christ is his son, the one who reveals the Father, but we need to reclaim the message that in the beginning was the word And the word was with God, and the word was God. In him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. There's something powerful about the notion of a living word, the one who speaks. We've talked in weeks past about the generativity of word. 
God hovering over the waters of the deep. Words being spoken, let there be light. Let there be this and that. And it was so. Words generating, creating as it were, out of something or out of nothing matters not. Whether word becomes an organizing principle or something that makes something out of nothing, ex nihilo, it's power. Word is generative, creative power. It makes something. It produces something. And God is always making something. He's always creating. And in the story of the creation of earth, it's word that brings us into into being. It brings the planet into order. When Jesus and God are there creating Adam and breathing into him the breath of life, some of you may recall, when he is given the task of naming animals, it isn't the task of God taking a steno notebook and writing down the gibberish that Adam might have said and saying, oh, he said gaga when he saw that animal, so that animal is now a gaga. Adam engages with God and learns the animals, and when he speaks, many of the old names speak to the kind of animal it is. They have a generativity of their own. The naming itself is shaping. That's what we do when we classify animals into kingdom, phylum, class, order, etc. We begin to give them a family and a shape. We begin to understand them in a certain classification, and we have clarity about that and power through the power of word. You know, word continues to be important all the way through scriptures. If I took all the time it would take to say how powerful word is in every single case, we would be here several days with me just talking about word. You have a name. Right now, I want everybody to just speak your own name out loud, please. Gregory. That was lovely. Good job. Nobody was even shy about it. That's terrific. Okay, now I want you to say your name again, and then immediately after, I want you to give the two or three five-word description of what your name means. Ready? Gregory, watchtower or watchful one. Your name has a meaning, yes? And that meaning hopefully was part of why your parent gave you that name. That meaning, hopefully, is a part of who you are because in naming you, something powerful happened with you. My parents named me Gregory. It means the watchful one. Okay. That has been a shaping part of my life, and it has also fit who I've become. Watchful one. Words are powerful things. They're powerful things. And in the context of faith, words are what we live by. So I want to get to the text. We have a couple of texts I want to spend some time with this morning that share with us the power of word in some very interesting ways. David Barber just read from Deuteronomy 8. 
and I'd like you to turn to Deuteronomy 8 again in your Bible, in the pew Bible ahead of you, or if you have your own Bible, that's just fine. Deuteronomy 8 is where we're going to start today. And I want to point out a few salient details as we go through this. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of what is called the Pentateuch or the Torah, first five books of Scripture. And in Deuteronomy 8, we read, this is the word of the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So the first word that God speaks is, Follow the commands I've given you because this is the keeping of covenant. If you keep your side of the covenant, which is to obey the commands I've given you, I will keep my side of covenant, which was an oath I swore to your ancestors to multiply you and bless you and bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of promise. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. That's a powerful passage. First of all, we have that admonition to remember. Now, remembering is an interesting thing, isn't it? I'm going to digress for just a moment. Remembering is a powerful thing because when we remember something, we're remembering something past But it isn't truly in the past, right? The past is gone. So we're taking something from the past, a recollection, and we're pulling it into the moment now, yes? Remembering is not passive, it's active. And so when we remember something, we give a shape to it. Now, if we're to remember rightly, this is something Miroslav Wolf talks about in his book on memory. Fantastic stuff. I urge you to read it. In Miroslav Wolf's book, he talks about memory in this sense. He says it is our duty to remember rightly. What does he mean by this? If we remember in a way that diminishes a wrong that was committed against us or something traumatic in our lives, we end up diminishing ourselves and hurting ourselves and creating a second injury in addition to the event itself or the memory. If we make those who've hurt us or the trauma of a past greater than it actually was or our enemy to be more of a villain than he or she actually is, then we commit a crime against them. We perpetuate something evil against those we remember more harshly than they deserve. So he makes the case that we need to remember rightly, and as we remember, we're bringing the past into the present, so we have choices to make in the present about how this past comes to us and how it affects us. God invites Israel to remember. It's an active verb. He says, remember the way I led you in the wilderness and tested you. Yes, Israel was to remember the hardships and the trials But as Peter was talking about earlier, when he was talking about his life, he doesn't want the emphasis on faithfulness to be on him. He wants the emphasis in faithfulness when he talks about stewardship in his life before God to be God's faithfulness to him and his family. Did you catch that? He tried to be very clear about that. And in the act of remembering, God is inviting Israel not just to remember the hardships and the difficulties 
and their faithlessness, he's inviting them to remember the way in which he provided for them and led them and cared for them and met their needs in a very hard place. He's inviting them to remember rightly their moments of disobedience and the pain that that caused. He's inviting them to remember rightly the graciousness of God who forgives them and restores them and brings them back. And he invites them to remember how though they wandered 40 years, they did end up in the promised land. He fulfilled his promise. So when God says remember this, there's something incredibly happening with the power of words, only that the words passed and the actions passed and all that's evoked in that. He humbled you, verse 3, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Oh, that's hard. That is hard to be diminished, to have such great need, to be utterly dependent, to be pleading. He humbled you with hunger and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. This was a new food. To teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is a familiar phrase and we're going to get to it in Matthew 4, 4 shortly. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. That's saying something, isn't it? I see people who wander around Pasadena for three months, and their shoes are worn out, the bottom of their pants are frayed, their zippers are broken, uh, they're dirty, 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 dirty. And yet Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and it says... Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. What had God done for them? Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God was trying to shape his people. And what is the way that shapes most of us best? The crucible of hardship or pain. Verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where your bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. If you live in the Bronze Age or earlier, this is a very good land. It still is today. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget that the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's the analogous point today? We've just been through an economically very difficult time. Some of you were upside down in your houses. Some of you had cutbacks to your jobs. Some of you have gotten your jobs back. Now your houses are worth what they were before. Have you forgotten the Lord? Is it no longer necessary to cry to Him? 
when he's brought you through this valley back to a level place, have we forgotten how to praise him, how to thank him, how to remember what he's brought us through, where we've been? The stock market's hitting incredible highs right now. If you have anything in a retirement fund anywhere at all, you are wealthier than you have ever been in your retirement fund. Was I not just a few years ago saying that I would have to work until 90? Do you remember that? Me talking about preaching till I was 80 or 90 because the retirement fund was so much in the toilet? Okay, is there any security in today's stock market numbers? No. It can turn to nothing again tomorrow. But who is still God? And whose word still sustains? And whose promise still goes forward? And who's going to carry me forward, whether I have a million dollars in a retirement account or $100,000 in a retirement account or $10,000 in a retirement account? Who's going to carry me forward? Oh, I don't hear you. God, God, okay, I guess God. Don't ask me to smile about it. God is going to take you forward. He's, he's there. He is the Word, the one who generates everything from his mouth, who speaks and it is, who promises and it comes to be. All he asks is that you are faithful and remember his commands. And Jesus has framed these for us. We don't have to be shy about this. It's love God supremely. Nothing else takes precedent over the love of God in your life. And to love your neighbor as yourself, that's the tough one. What we have to see is ourselves accurately in order to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because when we see our neighbors as arrogant, we find the arrogance within. When we see our neighbor as a jerk, we understand the jerk that is within. And so forth. Please don't embrace your inner jerk. Embrace your inner nerd. There we go. Wisdom for you during the sermon here. Verse 15, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my, the power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Any Simpson fans out there? All right, thank you, Abigail. Do you remember the Thanksgiving one where Bart is asked to give the Thanksgiving prayer over the family meal? And he says, well, God, it looks like we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> Amen. That's Bart. Yeah. Profane as that is, it speaks to our own level of gratitude most of the time and a level of awareness most of the time. We are tempted, as Deuteronomy says, to say, the work of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you, today that you will surely be destroyed like nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Ever heard the doctrine of the remnant? Ever heard anybody say we're God's remnant church? We have the faith of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy. Revelation points to the end of time and we're living there and we're God's church to carry the three angels' message forward at the end of time. Have you heard that? 
If you just read Deuteronomy, you know that's conditional. You know that if we cease to obey or cease to be the people God's called us to be, somebody else will be called to take our place. God will have a faithful people. Will it be us? Let me ask that again. God will have a faithful people. Will it be us? The word of the Lord has spoken it. Now, I want you to take the Deuteronomy passage we've just read in all of its wonder and move it into the time of Jesus who's just beginning his ministry. In fact, he's just been baptized. The Spirit of God has come upon him and he's called into the wilderness. Now, how long was Israel in the wilderness? Right there, according? 40 years, okay? And how long was Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days. 40? 40? Do you see any symmetry there? Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. We'll get there in just a minute. Jesus is tempted, and the first temptation he's given in his hunger is he realizes that he is very hungry, and the devil appears to him and says, take this rock and turn it to a loaf of bread. Could Jesus have done it? I suppose he could have. I'm thinking he probably could. The word that spoke and made all that is could probably turn bread and I mean stone into bread. I'm thinking that would work. And he says, "Don't tempt me." He says, "It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone." but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was going to come back from that experience. He was going to call his disciples and he was going to spend time in Galilee, which was a land of olive oil, a land of wine, a land of fish, a land of lake, a land of breezes. It was lovely. He was going to spend time in the promised land after his desert wanderings. And we're all doing the same. We're living our lives in this desert, as it were. And Santa Clarita is a great place. Glendale is a great place. We're all very blessed. Sometimes I think we're oblivious. But we're being moved somewhere. We're being called to eat a bread that's not of this earth, a bread of heaven. We're being offered water to drink from which we will never thirst again, the water from the well that is the word of God, that is Jesus. We're being offered eternal life, not just life we have here and now. We're looking forward to a promised land, as Israel was, one yet to come. Turn to Matthew very quickly. I know our time is running short, but I will will have you see this because it's it's camp meeting. Yeah, thank you. It's camp meeting. We're here till one, two. It's okay. Lock in. We're going to be good. Jesus tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I just want to make a parenthetical comment because a lot of people get stuck on this. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, it is, I think, proven that it is possible for a human being to live without food 
for 40 days, but not common. Most people die of starvation after anywhere from 8 to 20 days. Most people cannot go uh, this long. And if Jesus had, in fact, been without food and water for that long, he would have weighed somewhere in a 70-pound range. He would have had to have had water. He would have weighed somewhere in the 70-pound range. He wouldn't have had any strength. He wouldn't have had any presence with which to walk back to uh, where he had been before. So we're left with a couple of options. Either the number's literal, and he was sustained miraculously by God in this time. Miraculously sustained. He really didn't eat, and he was miraculously sustained for that time. Or the number, which I think is, is more likely, is designed to, to reference and help us remember another experience of God's provision the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. See, Israel wandered and God provided. Jesus went to the desert and the angels ministered to him. In the desert, they were tested by God to see if they would remain faithful to the commands of God. And they failed many, many times. Jesus, by contrast, was tempted in the wilderness and tested in the wilderness by the devil and passed, citing each time Deuteronomy. Every time, referencing a text in the, what we, have, we would call the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that 40 number could be understand by, understood by a faithful Christian to be something other than 40 literal days or nights. It could be a reference back to Deuteronomy from which Jesus quotes and his 40 years of wandering in the wilderness Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Jesus is the type to the antitype, and he comes offering us life anew. He comes with words of life, offering us bread of heaven, waters from which we'll never thirst again, ultimately offers us a trip to the tree of life and access to the river of life in a kingdom made new, one that will never end, and one in which the sin and suffering and wilderness wanderings that we experience are to be no more. This is the full circle of the word. Word that creates, word that redeems, and the word that restores. The word that takes us to a new place in our understanding. A word that feeds us from bread that falls from heaven in the wilderness of old to the bread that is the Christ when he says, take, eat, this is my body. We come full circle as Jesus is tempted in every way as we were. It says in verse 11, the angels came and attended him. In verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. So somewhere along the line, this ordeal ends for him and his ministry begins anew and in earnest. But I just want you to hear today how Jesus paid attention to the word himself and how these words came to be life, life for him and life for all of us. Because if he had yielded to hunger and turned bread to stone, this would still be 
a world belonging to the prince, not of peace, but of darkness. We'd be in a different kind of reality. Words would have a different kind of meaning and power. But thanks be to God, who has saved us in Jesus Christ, we have him, the living word. One who's never sinned, never broken covenant, never fallen short in the wilderness, never lost faith, never lost sight of what is and what can be and what will be, and never ceases to invite his people, one and all, to be faithful. Should we all stand? Page 447, Long Upon the Mountains. Glory be to him whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to him 
from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.